And on the heels of that, we have a particularly challenging text for us from Jesus today. Um, we're, in a, we're in our Loaded Question series that we uh, started a couple of weeks ago. Uh, last week, Erin uh, was gave her, she, she is the one who was really leading out the, uh, the scheduling of our sermon series right now. And she chose to give herself the really like warm, fuzzy Jesus. I get a different version tonight. Uh, I want you to invite, I want to invite you to turn to Luke chapter 6. Uh, and if you are physically able, I want to invite you to stand for the reading of God's word tonight. We're going to be reading from Luke chapter 6, verses 46 through 49. And then I want you to I invite you to stay standing for us to pray. And so this is our text for tonight. This is Jesus. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house, but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and hears and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. This is the word of the Lord. Lord Jesus, we are thankful for your word. We're thankful even when it's hard. Uh, we're thankful that you, you actually love us enough to say hard things. Lord, would you give us hearts, would you give us minds, would you give us spirits that are receptive to what it is you want to say? And we pray these things in your name. And we all say, amen. You can have a seat. Guys, if you didn't pick it up, our loaded question for the night is there one right at the beginning. And it goes something like this. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? And do not do what I say. Uh, just, just so we're clear on what Jesus is saying when he says, Lord, um, this, is, this is kind of what Jesus is going after. Uh, hey, guys, why do you call me king? Why do you call me uh, the ruler of everything? Why do you call me the person in charge? Why do you call me the one to whom you have submitted your entire life to? Fill in the blank, and you're not doing what I say. Now, I mean, this is clearly warm and fuzzy, Jesus, that Aaron has given me uh, to say tonight. And this is, this is the task. Um, th- this is the task that is on me as the person who's proclaiming the word tonight. But it is also the task on us as the ones who are submitting, in which we are all submitting tonight. Uh, this is actually extraordinarily good news. And the, uh, one, one, of the, one of the interesting things about uh, teaching and preaching is when you come into the you come into a time like this, like as the one who's doing it. One of the questions that I kind of have when, whenever I go into it, as as someone who's like you study it and you're like writing it, and then you, you've got like notes up here and, and, and whatnot. And the question that that um, I kind of ask coming into it is like, what is the freedom that I have as the preacher tonight um, to stay with the notes or to deviate? And so for me tonight, it feels like the instructions that the Lord has actually given me is to stay very close to what it is that, that he's given. Um, and I, I think the, the, the thing that we have to ask tonight uh, around this question, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say, 
is to actually look a little bit back into the chapter and what were some of the things that Jesus had just said. Uh, and Because he's now looking at his disciples, and he's like, hey, fellas, you're not doing it. So what did he, what did he just say that they're not doing? Um, so there, we're going to go 21 verses back and look at some of the things that Jesus said. And we're going to find out really quickly maybe why they're not doing some of those things. Because uh, these aren't, the, this is like, if, if you're going to like give a subtitle to this message, it would go something like this. Jesus is hard sometimes. And the things that Jesus asks us to do can feel very, very hard sometimes. So we're going we're gonna to just go through, and we're not going to read it. I'm just going to give you a highlight. I pulled out some of the things. Um, so if we were to go back uh, to verse 27, here are some of the things that Jesus says. Love your enemies. But Jesus, who is not necessarily one for to be really abstract, he's like, let's get a little bit more concrete about what that looks like. Um, when, people, when people do things to you and it makes you hate them, I want you to do good things to those people not bad things to those people. Uh, when, when someone calls you something that is basically the worst thing that you can possibly imagine or calls you something like th- that is like what you represent as a group of people, and it's like the worst word that you could call someone who looks like you, rather than cursing them back, I want you to bless them. When someone hurts you, when they have broken your heart, when they have stomped on it and treated like you are the, you are like, Worse than the less of the less of the less of the less. I want you to pray for those people. So again, Jesus, when he says love your enemies, he doesn't mean that like abstractly, like love humanity. He's like, and the people who are your enemies or the people who have hurt you, they have faces, they have names, they have stories, and you know who they are. That's just one verse. Let's go move on to verse 28. Verse if someone slaps you, give them the other cheek too. Now, in this, very, this particular one, what Jesus is actually referencing is a very specific kind of slap. And it isn't, it isn't just like they've hit you. It's that in the, in the Jewish culture, there's a kind of slap that you would give with a very specific hand that you would use for a very specific body function. And you take that hand and you slap them on the face to say, hey, you know the thing that you just pooped out? You're worth less than that. And when someone does that to you, which sometimes would happen in this culture, rather than hit them back, rather than say something awful to them, what does Jesus say you should do instead? Give them the other cheek to hit too. That sounds like good news, huh? Uh, If someone's going to take your coat, go ahead and give them your shirt. If someone asks you for something, go ahead and give it to you. Listen to this one. If someone steals from you, it's not just that you let them have it. It's like, don't even try to get it back. All right, verse 35, let's keep going. Love your enemies. So apparently this is the theme. He says this again, love your enemies. Do good to your enemies. Lend money to your enemies. Someone feeling good about that one? Sign me up. Verse 37, don't judge people, which is so easy to do. Don't condemn people, forgive people. Give to people. Now, there's a whole host of other things that Jesus says in the next couple of verses. Um, But it kind of, we can sum it up in this. Uh, What we know is the golden rule. Do to other people what you would have them do to you. So in the same way that you would treat yourself, treat everyone else, and it doesn't matter what they've done to you. And so Jesus is looking at his disciples, 
And he's like, guys, this is what you signed up for. Viva la revolucion. Like, the kingdom has come. And then he's looking at them and he's like, now why aren't you doing it? So, hypothetically, Jesus, if you were to maybe be here tonight, maybe he would be looking out into the audience and then he would hold up a giant mirror in front of me. Because Lord knows I am not exempt from this either. And it's like, hey, Easton Fellowship, why aren't you doing what I told you to do? It is worth pointing out that it is sheer coincidence that Ramesh and Lawson did just talk about money. And I am teaching this just so we think that that was not something that was planned. That was not planned. But here's the question we need to ask. Um, Why aren't you doing what I tell you to do? Why? Like, that's the question. Why? It's because we want to pick through what Jesus says and to choose what to do as if we are the Lord and not Jesus. And when we do that, it's called rebellion. It's called rebellion. When there is a Lord, and we've called that person Lord, and we are saying, I want to submit to you as Lord, and then when we say, never mind, I'm the Lord, that's called rebellion. Now, I think it's, it's really easy sometimes for us to slip into like black and white thinking. It's really easy. And it's, it's really important when we hear this to actually step into, this is actually way more complex than that. Because the people that Jesus is talking to, and I'm assuming like if you're here tonight, like the, those of us in the room, we didn't sign up for the rebellion. <laughs> We signed up for freedom. We signed up for Jesus. That's what we signed up for. Like, so how did we, like, how did we get here? Like, how do we get to the point where Jesus would walk in, like, kind of tip his glasses down maybe a little, and be like, so why aren't you doing the thing that I told you to do? Like, none of us are, like, I, 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 I want to. Like, I want to, like, how, so how do we get to this place? I think here's the thing, like, you asked Jesus to save you. If you're a Christian, you've asked Jesus to save you, now you need to let him. When when we have a Lord who actually beat death, so he beat death, came back again to life, and then it's like, now here's, like, and now I'm going to give it to you. When, When we have a Lord who beats death, It makes me think to myself, self, maybe, maybe that person, that God has something to say at least about the fundamental basics of how life works and doesn't work. That maybe if he is the Lord of death and the Lord of life, that he might have something to say about this life and how things work or don't work. Like the thing is that Jesus didn't come to save you for only the life to come, but to save you from the way this life currently breaks you the way it currently breaks you down, and the way that over and over and over again it leaves you as the worst version of yourself. The good news of Jesus is that he's inviting you into the upside-down kingdom. Every, now, this, is, this, is, this is the, like, if I'm going to be like, this is the big point. This is the big point. So write this down. Every single instinct tells you that the world is meant to operate in a certain way. Like all of your instincts, 
all of you, like your mind, your heart, your body, every fabric of your being tells you that the world operates in a certain way. But this is what you have to listen to. All of your instincts are wrong. That's the point to write down. All of your instincts are wrong. Yet we think we can trust them. We think we can trust them. We think that we can trust our heart. We think we can trust it. And so we we have phrases like, well, the heart wants what it wants. But look at all the ways that your heart has actually led you to some pretty disastrous places. It is why there's this beautiful metaphor in Ezekiel where God is like, this is is the way that I'm going to love you. Your heart has turned to stone. And this is what I'm going to do. I'm I'm a loving surgeon. I'm going to take that heart of stone out. We're going to do a heart transplant. And I'm going to give you one that's built like it's flesh. And it actually beats. Jesus, one one of the invitations of Jesus is like, your heart that doesn't work, that only leaves you with the worst versions of yourself, the one that doesn't even beat, I'm going to give you a real one. Like all of our instincts are wired for the wrong world. Our heart is not actually something that in and of itself can be trusted. And that, that seems so fundamentally at odds with everything that we know. And there's a reason for that. It's because all of our instincts are wrong. We think that we can actually trust our own judgment. We think that we can actually trust our minds. Yet this is what, this is what Paul says when he's writing to the church at Rome. He says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The world You think the world operates in a certain way, and your mind tells you that 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 thing is true. And yet, what if everything was upside down? What if right side up was actually upside down? And what Jesus says over and over and over again is that the world operates in a way, the real world, the way that he created, the way that all of it was set up, operates in a very particular way, and we don't understand it. Because our instincts are wrong. We think we can trust our judgment and our minds. We signed up for Jesus and his kingdom, not our own or not someone else's. We signed up for Jesus and his kingdom, yet we keep finding out over and over that we want the kingdom, but we're not so sure about the king. We want the way that Eden was set up. We want the garden, but we're not so sure we want the gardener. Why is that? How did we sign up for rebellion when what we really signed up for is Jesus? Why does that list that we just read, love your enemies, do good to those who hurt you, someone slaps you on the cheek, says the worst imaginable thing about you, crushes you, breaks you in half, rips you to shreds, and you're like, I want good things for you, man. I love you. I'm going to pray for you. You want my shirt? Take it. You want a thousand bucks? It's yours. Doesn't that sound backwards? everything in you. Like, why do we, when we hear that, why does that sound like bad news? Like, how did we, how did we get here? I didn't sign up for that. And yet I hear that 
And my instinct is to be like, man, Jesus, doing that thing to me again. I don't receive it as good news. It's because all of our instincts are for the evil empire. While our very nature, the fabric of our being is, is currently being completely rewired from the inside out. Our minds, we need new ones that need to be renewed. Our hearts, I need one that actually beats. And there's going to be a day when all of me is put back together. But I'm not there yet. And so even within me, Paul talks about, there are like these two spirits that are warring and working against each other. And the question that that Paul's like, well, which one's going to win out? Well, the good news, the good news is this, that he who began a good work, he's the one who's going to finish it. So we can actually like, maybe maybe release some of like the the, the air and the tire. We can like, we can relax just a little. He who began a good work, he's going to be the one who finishes it. It's not going to be up to me. I had a, my, one of the great things about kids is that they, for pastors, is they provide really, really good, like, sermon fodder all of the time. And my youngest right now is a never-ending, like, he just, he's just a walking, breathing sermon. Um, last night, we are, we're, my, my daughter's about to turn 10. And Sam, who's our youngest, he's five. Um, he, he has what we'll say very high highs and very low lows, which makes me have very high highs and very, very low lows as well. Last night, I work, we, are, we have dinner, and then we, we have this cake, and Avery's chosen this very particular cake. It is this gorgeous cake, um, and, and Sam is very excited. He's very, very, very excited about the cake. And we're, we're like cutting the cake and we're like putting the cake out. We're putting it on the different plates. He's very excited because it's a Neapolitan that Avery has selected, which means it has chocolate, it has strawberry, and it has vanilla. And we have ice cream that is chocolate, strawberry, and vanilla. It's a very, very big night in the night of St. Paul. And so he, I mean, like, he's, he's like hugging me. He's like telling me he loves me. He's like seeing the cake. He's looking at it. He's seeing the ice cream that's going on his plate. And he, I mean, he, like, I, you know, this is, like, I feel like I'm the best person that's ever lived in the history of humanity. Like, when, when Sam is smiling, the sun is shining on you. It's a beautiful thing. He's got these, these big brown eyes, and he's just like, he's like, I love you, Dad. Let me tell you what happened next. So downstairs, we, we've, got a, we've got a basement, and we've got some chairs that we've moved downstairs from the kitchen table, and we put some of the, t- the chairs downstairs so that the kids could make a fort. Because, you know, this is what kids do. They make forts. So there are, no t- there are currently no tables around the kitchen table. The only thing that's there is like this bench that we have up against the wall. I had the audacity to tell Sam... I want you to go sit on the bench. Now, his mom is on the other side of, like, the island in the kitchen, and that's really where he wants to be. I just happen to be lucky enough to be standing next to his mom, who's his favorite person in the entire world. I'm not a – I mean, like, maybe I'm a close second, but I'm not. And he doesn't want to. Like, he has no intention or desire to leave his mom's side, which he's, like, sandwiched in between us right now. And I'm like, nah, like, you need to go sit down. Like. The ice cream and the cake will be served at the table. 
not, I mean, like, I don't even know how he's going to try to eat this thing without, like, spilling it everywhere. And we have a great Dane who is five times the size of Sam who will be really excited about that cake. And I'm like, you have to sit at the table. And so he, like, stomps to the table, crosses his arms, and he, like, he has this particular scowl where he, like, will just, like, he puts his face down and then he, like, looks at you. And then he, he looks straight at me, and he's like, I hate you. I'm like, he literally just said he loved me. All I did, like, and, and so, like, I look at him like, what did you say? And he's like, I don't like you right now. <laughs> but, like, the, the thing that kids show us over and over again is that their instincts are wired for something. Like, Sam wants what he wants. And in that particular moment, it was cake and ice cream in the way that he wanted it, which was right beside his mother standing up, despite the fact that our giant dog would have eaten it all. What he thinks is best for him is what he's wired for. In the way that he thinks is good for him, when he wants it, which is, of course, right now and not a second later. Like, that is what he is. That is what all of his instincts are wired for. And as his parent, as someone who is like trying to disciple him, what I'm trying to do is like undo that. Like, because we recognize, like, you don't even have to be a parent to see that. All you have to be like, that's not great. <laughs> it's, it's not great that he went from like, I love you because everything was going right in the way that he wanted it to like, I hate you because I had the audacity to just make him sit to eat his ice cream. <laughs> so I want to, I want to break this down. Let's, let's, real quick, let's read verse 27 again. This is, this is what it says in Luke. It says, but to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Then jump down to verse 35. It says, but love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. What Jesus is talking about is we have all of these instinctual things. When someone hits you, what is your instinct? To hit them back. I'm not even saying like that's like necessarily like a wrong instinct. I'm saying like the need for self-preservation and self-protection is really strong. When someone steals something from you, what is our instinct? Like, to get it back, to realize that something unjust has happened to us. And over and over again, like, what, what, what Jesus is underlying in these things here is, like, at the core of the way that you think the universe works, something needs to flip. Your instinct isn't for those things, but what I'm trying to do is to give you a new one. I have a, maybe six or seven years ago, actually before that, so my, my wife, who's a lovely woman, uh, every once in a while, uh, she will tell me that what I need to do when, when talking with her or with other people or dealing with a certain situation is to wear my human hat. And what she means by that, and for those of you who know me well, you know what she means by that is sometimes I can, I can be a little strong in the way that I express my opinion, uh, a little overpowering, or... Uh, like when, when I should be more sensitive to something that's happening and something should actually 
like pierce my skin, whether that's like literally or emotionally or relationally, uh, she, she feels like I can leave a little something to be desired. And in those moments, what, what she tells me is, Doug, maybe, and she says this in such a loving way, why don't you put on your human hat now and act human? I say that to say, like, it, it really does actually take quite a bit to hurt me. It takes a lot to, like, pierce through that, that like, relational, emotional skin. Six or seven years ago, uh, there was, there was in some stuff that happened uh, with – I'm not going to give any of the details. I'm going to be, like, really ambiguous – and none of you are going to even know what I'm talking about, but that is okay. Something happened to our family. Uh, it happened to me and happened to Elizabeth that was unbelievably, like, hurtful doesn't come close to describing the situation. Um, it was bad, 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 bad. Uh, and it was, I would like to think that some of the stuff that happened wasn't on purpose. But I think some of it was on purpose. Some of it wasn't, uh, but a lot of it might have been. And, I mean, it, it really, it put, like, our family, like, in jeopardy. It put Elizabeth and I's relationship, our marriage, in jeopardy. It put uh, my ability to, like, provide for our family in jeopardy. Uh, like, all the basics of life and relationships very much in jeopardy because of one specific thing and not for something that we had done wrong. I mean, and it was, it was, it was, like, bad. And I would be straight up lying to you if I didn't tell you that for a very long time, this person wasn't my enemy. But I would be lying if I didn't say, like, there weren't days where, like, if, if this person and really this, this, this couple had gotten hit by a bus, I would have thought that was a pretty good day. Like, it was that hurtful. Like, you come after my wife, we're going to, you know. I mean, like, there's some, some things. <laughs> uh, and then it starts affecting my kids. And like, I'm down on the totem pole. But, like, so I read verses like this. And I recognize, like, do you, do you know what I really want to do? I, I have no desire to forgive that person. And what, I, what Jesus had to do in me, and the work that he had to do in me, there's this, this movement that had to happen. That instinctually, I don't have the capacity to do. A movement that had to go from wanting horrible things to happen to this person to like over time through only the power of God to feeling neutral about this person. And quite frankly, that is a, a place where I live for a very long time where it's like, it's just a shrug of the shoulders. It doesn't hurt necessarily anymore. Um, I don't feel a twinge. I don't feel a knot in my stomach. I don't feel anything. I just feel neutral as if I didn't really know that person or anything about them anymore. Except when the challenge of God comes when you read a verse like this and it's like, Pray good things for them. Like, there's a big move from, like I, like, I want bad things to them to just feeling neutral. But it feels like a million miles further to be, like, to say, like, 
I want the very best for them, like I want the very best for my own kids. That's a different. All of our instincts say to hold on to pain. All of our instincts say to hold on to the hate. All of our instincts say, like, look, they broke you in half. They don't get to decide or have anything into whether or not I heal or not. The only person that gets to decide that is me. The only person that gets to decide if I'm going to hold on to that, that, like, hot hatred that I have that, like, in some ways feels like it keeps me warm at night is me. But this is, the, this is the thing, and this is actually what the sermon is about, because the sermon is broadly about something else, but I think this is just like a little side point. Choosing unforgiveness is like swallowing poison yourself and expecting it to kill the other person. Whenever we see things that, that Jesus is telling us to do, and we see that we're not doing it, like he's holding up a mirror, this is, this is all that's actually happening, because I think this is important for us to see. What is actually happening is that we're recognizing that within inside of ourselves, there are pieces of us that are still hardwired for another world. And Jesus is in the process of rewiring us. So that, that one, one way to read passages like this is to be like, I, I suck. Like, I'm awful. Like, I'm a worm. Like, because look at all the things that I'm not doing. That is a way, that is a way to read this. That is not, I believe, how Jesus is encouraging us to read. Because what Jesus fully understands and the thing that Jesus gave his life for is to say, you can't do it, but I can. And we will spend the rest of our lives together working this out until you are fully put back together when we arrive in glory together. The person who knows that is Jesus. The person who sees that there are pieces of us that are wired for this world and pieces of us that he has rewired for his upside-down kingdom is Jesus. And Jesus' desire is to give you a new heart. That's why he took out the heart of stone and he has put in that heart of flesh. The master surgeon is now saying, now let's get that heart beat. He wants to give you a new mind. That's why he's working on renewing it. The question that these passages should really ask us is not whether or not we will do this. Because hopefully in giving ourselves to Jesus, we're saying we will. But what we have to ask is actually around, will we let him do it through us? Where he's saying the places where he needs more of you, that you're like, well, here I am. Like, I I can't, like, I can't. Like, the point is not to be like, well, I'm going to try harder then. Like, I'm, I'm just going to forgive them harder. It doesn't work that way. You can. If you could, you wouldn't have needed Jesus in the first place. You can't. So when it, you read a scriptures like, and you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, the response is to be like, I can't do that. And Jesus is like, that's right. You can't, but I can. Because it's in your weakness, the scriptures say, that his power is made perfect. When you are weak, I'm strong. Not me. Whatever you refuse to give to others, whenever you refuse to give to other people, when you refuse to give to the Lord, it's ultimately that thing that's going to bind you. It's ultimately going to be that thing that sinks you. It's 
ultimately going to be that thing that takes you out. So the question we should be asking in this loaded question series is, it's like, well, where's, where's the good news, right? Like, what's the invitation to Jesus? And it's where we started. Look at verse 47. As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They're like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house, but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built the house on a ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. What's the invitation to Jesus? What, like, what's the good news? The good news is we get a life that's built for the storm. The good news is that we get a life that isn't like the instinctual thing of what we think the good life is with the mind that we have or the heart that we have, but we get a life that is better than we could ever hope or dream or imagine because we can't even see it because he's also trying to give us new life. Can you see what the father is doing? Jesus says over and over. Well, we can't. We need new eyes. I can't even see the best kind of life. He wants to show that to me too. In life, you're either about to enter a storm, you're in a storm, or you're on the heels of leaving a storm. And this is what Jesus says. Listen, take heart. Like I, like I have overcome the world. You will have trouble. You will go into a storm, but you're going to have a life that's built. I'm going to invite David to come up. I texted him. There he is. He's here. Did you have earbuds in, man? I hope you were listening to worship music or something. David's going David's gonna to lead us in communion. I don't know what to say. But let, let, me, let, me, let me just close with this. We're, all of this has really been building towards like the table here. And every, every time we, we take communion, we're trying to think with fresh eyes and a fresh heart and fresh spirit. Like, how is this, how is this table meaningful tonight? Uh, and, and what I want to say, like, when we come to the table tonight, there, there are three things that we're acknowledging. Number one, Jesus, you're Lord and I'm not. Number two, I need my new heart to work. And number three, I need you to keep renewing my mind. That's good. Um... I was pointed out that I have challenges with um, technology hygiene. You know, I, I keep things digital, but I never forgot to even take my headphones off. But I have to listen to the sermon. It's been wonderful. Uh, <laughs> I promise you that. Um, so um, one of the things that is really great, um, I love what Doug said, is that, that the Lord's the good news is that we're getting a life built for the storm. Cause, uh, one of the things that you just, uh, don't have, uh, uh that, 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 if you look, look at those, um, stores and the Christian bookstores, they have the promises of God, you know, and, uh, one of the few promises that you never see in there is that you will suffer. They always these promises that God wants the best for you, but you never had a promise that you will suffer. And that is something that is key. And so, like, uh, this, uh, um, ritual, this habit, this, 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 this scripture says, as often as we get together, 
uh, we should do communion because the fact is that God knows that we will suffer. And one of the things that's compelling to me about being a Christian versus any other uh, other world religion is the fact that our um, God took on flesh and suffered along with us to enter in humanity, so uh, of the suffering of humanity. So this is what's reminded of us, and this is what helps us to heal. So I want to just open us up to prayer by just saying, like, Lord, we just ask that you would um, help us to know that our instincts aren't naturally what's good for us, but you want to renew us in a space where we uh, are being transformed from the inside out so that one day there are certain things about our instincts that we can trust because we have matured being more and more like you. So Lord, this practice of communion, as though it could feel like, oh, why are we doing this again? We pray that your spirit will help to make this fresh and new. Which as often as you can, we should do this because this is about formation. This is about us becoming more and more like you. So we pray, Lord, that you would uh, make this time special. Help us to be hearers of the word, not, not just only hearers of the word, but also doers of the word, that we will build on a firm foundation of the rock of the word of God. In Jesus' name, all God's people say, amen. So as I received from the Lord, what I also pass on to you, the Lord, on the night he was betrayed, took the bread, and when he was given and gave thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you, do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and said, this is my cup, the new covenant, my blood, do this wherever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We'll have the servers come up. And we'll have a group of servers on this side and another group on this side. And uh, we have gluten-free wafers here. And just be thinking about ways that we could be more obedient in response to the the word of God that we hear, and how maybe how the Lord might trust our uh, help us trust our instincts uh, by by being transformed. I know this week I was uh, I go if you know who Margie is, a lot of us talk to Margie on a regular basis. Margie is a counselor that. Uh, I know most of the leaders here uh, go to for marriage counseling, but I, I, I go for marriage, I go for personal, I go for all the things. And uh, one of the things about me is I, I think about what Doug was saying is that I know I'm not always right, but I'm always confident. And uh, and just how much pride is in that, you know? Uh, I feel like I can't trust my instincts. So I know for me... Uh, 
that's one of the things that I'm like, Lord, I know the Lord wants to transform that in my my heart, that I won't be dismissive when I hear people from other viewpoints that may or may not be right. they got to give me a 10-point plan to convince me to change my my way. You know, but I, I don't know what that is for you, but I know the Lord wants to do something to heal and transform you. So you can come on up as, as the worship team leads us in song. I surrender. Oh Lord, make me more like you. Share. 